finding people in their natural habitats, like surrounded by their loved ones or their barking dog or their cat or whatever. Like to me, that's like ideal interview environment. People are more willing to like get a little bit vulnerable or weird or specific. And I don't know, I would just say like, and sort of embrace the weirdness, embrace the awkwardness that comes with finding people in their pajamas or whatever it is. Hi, I'm so excited for season three. Jenny, honestly, I'm extraordinarily excited as well. Our last episode for season two was in March and it's May now. And I mean, two months ago, that that feels like two years. Yeah, it feels two like about decades. two years. Yeah. But here we are. And, and, you know, these conversations that we have on this podcast are essential to staying inspired and staying connected, right? Yeah, we know that a lot of our listeners, people in this community have had a rough few months, like us included, like everybody is wrapped up mm-hmm. in this whole thing. Absolutely. And, you know, it feels weird in a sense to sit in our in our homes and listen to these long conversations that are very useful to so many of us, but most of us are not actively making things. And yet, I, I do think that, that through these very hard times that we will find different ways to do things and, and tell stories. So um, there, there is a silver lining in this, right? Yeah, we're I feel like we're all just like totally up to our eyeballs in coronavirus news. Mm-hmm. And although we do cover the impact of COVID and the pandemic in a lot of these episodes in season three, we really hope that some of them give you a little bit of an escape from that. And wait, to just let people let's know that as the beginning of season three, let's reintroduce for all of the new folks who are listening what Rafka is. Yeah. So for anyone who hasn't listened to Rough Cut before, the podcast is basically conversations with documentary filmmakers, video journalists, anyone in this nonfiction video world where we basically break down their creative process and what they've learned over the course of their career and what they really have to teach others. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there are a lot of filmmaking podcasts out there, of course. Um, But this one is special, humbly, (laughs) I would like to say, because it's a very informal but also deep conversation each time. Um, And I think that's a really special thing and something that we that we really need, especially now. Yeah, we go deep. Mm -hmm. And I think that you also are able to do this because you professionally do this as well. And so do I. But Jenny, again, for those who are not as familiar, who are you and what do you do? Well, my name is Jenny Butler. I'm a staff video journalist at Now This. And Sky, you were at NBC for many years and, and The New Yorker. Uh-huh. And I run the Video Consortium, which is a global network of today's top emerging voices in nonfiction film and video journalism. So it's kind of like one big nonfiction happy family, all of us, <laughs> right? Keeping it in the fam. Absolutely. And we always want more people to join the fam. But today, this debut episode of season three is not 
COVID related. And I am so excited because I have been watching this video series for forever or since it began. And it is so unique and so different and fabulous. Um, Who do we have on today? So today we have on Joe Coscarelli. He is the host of New York Times Diary of a Song. It basically breaks down a pop song with Mm. the people who make it. So the artist, maybe it's like Justin Bieber and his producer, and they have a FaceTime conversation with Joe and very informal interview about how Mm. they made this song. And it's, you're right, it's not explicitly COVID related, but this show is one of the first things I thought of when everything when all production went on hold because they don't rely on any you know formal production in the way that we would think of it they don't take cameras out and do formal interviews on sets like everything is mm-hmm. remote everything is over facetime they rely mm-hmm. heavily on graphics and um, in-house production and the result is amazing. It's it's amazingly entertaining and mm-hmm. dynamic. And I'm so impressed that they're able to pull it off every time they do. Yeah, it really is magical. And for what they don't have in, you know, I mean, I, I think we all know there, there are the kinds of shows that impress viewers by the slickness and the production value and like it almost doesn't even matter as much what the story is because people are just so wowed by the effects or like how it's shot etc um and this is the exact opposite and the magic of it is the fact that it's basically like you're sitting in on a really informal conversation between joe coscarelli and taylor swift yeah i agree the video quality is bad sometimes Yeah, because it's literally a FaceTime. It does, but they're able to work with those limitations as we all have to now and still make really entertaining and great content. Mm -hmm. And and I would even argue that it wouldn't be as good of a show if it were well-produced. Oh, yeah. We're all in a place now where we have to do remote interviews almost exclusively. How can we work within those boundaries to make the interviews better? I mean, in a way, it's kind of it's kind of endearing. Like you and I, I'm sitting on the floor of my brother's <laughs> childhood bedroom as we record this. And you are yep. in your mother's my, house. My mother's guest room. Thank you very much. Um, yeah. It's kind of an interesting world we live in now. Absolutely. And you know, also like I, I think that COVID and all of this, all of these horrible and crazy things that are happening right now are, in a sense, not to get philosophical here, but are making people realize the stuff that matters. And, 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 are, are, and people are like feeling more raw and more real. And so this is perfect because it is a raw and a real series. Yeah, And really. Joe does such a great job. Oh, so before we start the show, I just want to point out that on the last episode with Rachel Mason, I accidentally and incorrectly referred to Ryan Murphy as her film's executive director. <laughs> in fact, he is the executive producer. Right. So <laughs> I executive mean, director does not exist for anyone who is I mean, confused. It, well, it does exist. Just, I mean, in the film world, maybe it's a secret thing, you know, but but for this case, absolutely not. I, I actually Googled it and it does exist in certain industries, in corporations. Right but it does not exist in the film industry. But I think that we should maybe start it. I think so. I think it should be a thing. 
Right. I, it's great that we addressed that. And Jenny, I haven't heard this episode, I will say, so I'm so excited to hear it and then go binge on some more Diary of a Songs. So I shall know. we do it? So this is Joe Coscarelli, and you're listening to the brand new season three of Rough Cut. Woohoo! Here we go. Thank you so much for doing this, Joe. Huge fan of Diary of a Song. It's definitely my favorite video series from the Times and probably one of my favorite things on YouTube. You guys don't do enough episodes. That's my only that's my only criticism. We've been told that. Um it's hard because it's not anyone's full-time job. Uh it's just sort of something we do on the side and we've tried to increase frequency, but it's challenging in multiple ways now more than ever. Tell me a bit more about your background. How did you end up, because you're not really, you know, in the video world. How did you end up hosting this show? Yeah, no, I've never made video before the times. And even once I got there, I was hired, you know, as a newspaper reporter for the art section and never planned to make video part of what I did, but it just sort of has worked out that way. Um, And I like it so-so now. Um, I, I like doing, I like doing it. I don't love um, being on video, but I figured it out. Um, but no, I was hired as a music reporter, um, in the art section, um, of the times I came from New York magazine where I was just a sort of all purpose online reporter. I worked for the website, um, nymag.com and did news blogging basically about everything from politics to crime to media and internet culture. Um, wasn't writing a lot about music, Um, Before that, I had worked at the Village Voice and did a similar job, just writing a lot and reporting mostly online um, in quick bursts many times a day. And then the Times job sort of combined my main interests in popular culture and music with my reporting background. And that's that's what I do now. Um, But yeah, I came in as a as a music reporter doing news and features and obituaries and investigations and uh gradually over the five or so years that i've been there uh video has become more and more part of what i do Hmm. so that's interesting so you don't love being on camera and you know i can understand probably a lot of writers and people who make videos who are behind the camera aren't comfortable being on camera but you host this on camera show how did that happen yeah i mean we've talked about we talked early on and continue to talk about whether or not I need to be in the videos. Um, and that, uh, is an ongoing conversation, I think, but it started, we did two sort of high budget videos that came from the same place, which were sort of making of a song videos where we interviewed the first one was Justin Bieber, um, Diplo and Skrillex. Uh, for the song Where Are You Now, and the second one was Ed Sheeran and his collaborators on the song Shape of You, and those happened many years apart, um, and they took a really long time to make, and they were extremely expensive, and I didn't actually do the interviews for those. Those were done by John Perellis, who's the chief pop critic at the Times, Um, but I had helped conceive of the idea behind the scenes and helped pick the songs and book the interviews and was just sort of working in an unofficial producer role when we did those initial videos 
And, you know, they were big hits. I think people really liked them. We were really happy with how they came out, but they were really hard to do quickly. Uh, they, again, like cost a ton of money, you know, they had full crews and shoots uh, out of town. And, you know, we basically set up wherever we could find all the interview interviewees. And, you know, those were done, I think, two years apart from each other. Um, then there came a time when the Times was more interested in making video series. And we sat down and we said, you know, is there a way that we can basically scale this? Can we do this more? How would we do it? And would it be me who did it? Uh, because I was sort of, I had a similar idea based on interviewing a lot of musicians and realizing that they all used voice memos on their iPhones. And I thought it would be fun to build a video series around that. Uh, so we sort of took what we learned from the Justin Bieber and Ed Sheeran videos combined with my voice notes idea. And then we problem solved from there. And we sort of said, what were the hardest parts about doing this video? And one was just booking, you know, getting famous people to sit down for a video interview is super labor intensive and involves a ton of negotiations. And, you know, we were just tossing around ideas and it came up that maybe we could do these interviews remotely. And FaceTime was sort of a you know, not a new technology, but still not really in the visual lexicon at the time. But there had been an increasing amount of pop stars using the sort of front-facing camera as their default mode, whether it was on Instagram or, you know, Taylor Swift had done some behind-the-scenes videos for the making of one of her albums where she would just prop her phone on the keyboard as she was writing. And, you know, we thought we can just use that language to tell our story. And not only is it easier to get famous people to agree to an interview if they can do it from backstage or in a car or, you know, from their couch or on the beach, like wherever they were with their phones. Um, but it also lent a sort of intimacy to the, to the exchange automatically, because I think these people are so used to speaking directly into their phones already. Hmm. So we're artists, recording voice memos and sending them to you like when you were doing stories about them no it would just come up every time i would talk to a, someone who writes songs about you know where did this idea come from you know how did how did you write this what were the mechanics of getting this from you know your brain to spotify or whatever and so often there would be a step where they say you know i was like in the shower or on a walk or in my car and i got this idea for a lyric or for a melody and so i just grabbed my phone and i you know put it down on my voice memos, uh, you know, just singing a little, whether it's a few bars of a song or just a lyric or just a, a little burst of melody inspiration. Um, and then they would use that as sort of like the first demo for the song in the songwriting process. And I started hearing that over and over again in all the artists' uh, interviews I was doing. And I thought like, you know, people want to know more about the process. And this seems like the very beginning of the process. So it would be cool to see if they would give us mm. these voice memos. And some people have and some people have not. You know, people are can be protective of their ideas in their rawest form. But uh, I think more and more artists are comfortable opening that up to, to the public. Mm, yeah, especially since it seems like we're paying a lot more attention to the people behind the music instead of just the artist um, on the face of it, the producers. Like, we now 
know about Jack Antonoff, you know? I mean, of course, he is like a forward-facing person as well, but we know him as a producer. And I feel like 10 years ago, maybe we, we weren't paying as much attention to music producers. Totally. And I think that's always been a big part of what I wanted to do in my job is like pull back the curtain on that stuff. And mm-hmm. I've always thought, you know, you can often get a much more interesting story interviewing the guy behind the guy behind Justin Bieber than interviewing Justin Bieber himself. Yeah, absolutely. What do you think? I mean, you mentioned intimacy, but what else do you think this kind of like FaceTime style, this kind of low production style adds to the show? I think it's familiar. It's familiar to everyone involved, right? It's familiar to the person you're doing the interview with because if it's a if it's a pop star or a rapper or you know a, a young artist, this is how they spend most of their time, right? Like looking into the camera in their cell phone, like whether it's taking selfies or FaceTiming, you know, collaborators or you know whatever. I just think like that's a default mode for so many people of a certain generation and increasingly for everyone, especially now, like in this time of quarantine, like this is how people talk to their kids when they're out of town. This is how people talk to their grandparents, to their parents. Um, They check in with their significant others. Like it's just a, it's just a visual language that makes sense to people. Um, And that goes from the interviewee to the viewer. Uh, It's just, it's just comfortable, I think. And people also are forgiving of it, right? Like everyone knows the call is probably going to drop. Like there's going to be some weird echo. It's going to glitch like at an inopportune moment. Maybe you don't have good service like because you're in the mountains or on the beach or whatever. And it's just that sort of those little uh, quirks of the medium, I think like they disarm people and they come with like compassion like people are watch these videos and even if it even if the audio breaks up like they know why because they have it on their phone too yeah yeah i yeah i agree it definitely adds it adds something i think also setting up a camera in, in front of them having a big crew setting up lights like even people like musical artists who are so used to being in front of a camera you still like tense up and i feel like just having your phone in front of you, it's got to take down some of those barriers. Yeah, I think there are certain artists that I've seen who really come alive on camera, like even Mm -hmm. more so than they would in like an intimate interview setting and they can really rise to that occasion. But I think you're right for the majority of people, like a crew and a camera and makeup and lights and all of this, you know, all all the fixings, like add a heightened sense of like, I better say something important or I better do this correctly, or maybe I can't curse or maybe I can't be myself. Whereas on the phone, it's just immediate, like as if we were friends, right? The fact that I'm even able to FaceTime some of these people, you know, obviously sometimes it's on their manager's cell phone or on their publicist's cell phone or whatever, but just the fact that when they pick up a call, it's like Taylor Swift on one end and me on the other, like that automatically like breaks down some, some barriers, I think. Totally. Yeah. Are you doing pre-interviews with them over the phone first? Cause I'm always really impressed by, I mean, I know the show is edited, but it feels like there's really like opportune moments when you're calling them, like you're like, Oh, I'm catching him when he, he's in his studio and the surroundings really serve the story in a lot of ways. So I'm, I'm wondering if you, plan any of that out with them beforehand 
Yeah, no, it's totally cold and we really like roll the dice every time, um, which is fun and I think adds a, a certain, you know, jolt to the process, but it's pretty raw. Like, you know, sometimes if it's like the producer of the song and we know that they, you know, have a home studio, we'll say, hey, it'd be great if you could be in the studio so you could show us where this happened or so you can show us the instruments you used. Um, but especially with the big stars, like wrangling is probably the biggest uh, hurdle in doing this series in general. Like even getting people for a 30 or 45 minute FaceTime call is tricky, like depending on their level of fame and how busy they are. So when people say yes, like we're just happy that they say yes. Um, so we pretty much take it wherever we can get it and we work around it. You know, like sometimes we'll spend five minutes at the top of an interview moving them around or making sure they're on Wi-Fi instead of data if the service is choppy or whatever it is or if the sound is bad. Um, but we pretty much just go wherever they present themselves to us. So that's worked out well in some cases and it's worked out poorly in other cases. But, um, you know, we've we sort of, again, build that into the final product, whether it's like Billie Eilish is in the hotel room with her mom, like that's, as you said, perfect for the story. Um, but like someone like the rapper Sheck West was like literally on the beach in Hawaii and like the wind was crazy and like his phone died and we had to call him back like an hour later because he couldn't find a charger. Like, you know, there's, there's chaos, chaos built in. But again, we try to just make that all part of the fun. Yeah, I mean, there's something actually so appropriate about catching a rapper on the beach, you know, like that feels actually really fitting. Yeah, it would have been great if the sound wasn't so bad. <laughs> yeah, if the sound wasn't bad. I'm surprised that you don't do pre-interviews because it feels like you have this rapport with people right off the bat. Do you have any advice on like establishing intimacy with a subject so quickly? Because it does really feel like it's a conversation between two friends. Yeah, I would say... You know, a lot of these people I've interviewed in the course of my job previously, or I've met mm -hmm. before, you know, um, Taylor Swift, I, I had, she knows who, you know, we know who each other are from my work at the Times, Jack Antonoff, same thing, like Jay Balvin, I knew, you know, certain producers I talked to on the phone or emailed with. Um, so there's a little bit of like, this is just my beat and I've been doing it for a few years and like there's a familiarity there, but the rest of it is just, um, you know, research coming in knowledgeable. I think the other thing that really helps with the diary interviews is that it, they're so narrow, they're so focused um, on one piece of work. I think that's a huge part of what allows people to be so intimate in the interviews is the fact that they can go in knowing that, you know, do we ask broader questions? Yes, but ultimately the interview is going to focus and the video, the final product is going to focus specifically on this one thing they created. And I think there's, for so many artists, they're asked rarely about their work and that's what they know best. Like those are the things they're best at talking about. Those are the things they know the most about. And those are things I don't get asked a lot about, the sort of intricacies of writing a song. So I think that that, when I can come in and say, you know, where were you when you had the idea for this lyric or this melody or whatever, like, this is just a more, it's a more granular level, I think, than they're often interviewed on. Um, mm -hmm. And 
that allows them to let their guard down a little bit. Yeah, that's really true. I feel like artists, filmmakers, creative people in general who are in the spotlight don't get asked about their process very often. And I find it the most interesting. Yeah, obviously, I guess, based on this yeah. uh, <laughs> podcast that you do. I mean, now that we're all kind of in quarantine and we have to be doing remote interviews all the time for everything, pretty much, do you have any advice on how to do them well? I think you just sort of lean into the weirdness of it, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's both awkward and revealing. Like, you know, like I know that you're like in the space where you live your life. Like that is, that's cool on some level. Like it's so much better, especially when you're talking about entertainers or celebrities than like being at some setup thing that a publicist, you know, makes happen or like you at a meal and like, how do you do the interview while you're both like trying to eat, uh, you know, or like you're doing some contrived activity. Like this is just like finding people in their natural habitats, like surrounded by their loved ones or their barking dog or their cat or whatever. Like to me, that's like ideal, uh, interview environment like it's just it's just better and I think people are more willing especially in this strange moment to like get a little bit vulnerable or or weird or specific and I don't know I would just say like sort of embrace the embrace the weirdness embrace the awkwardness that comes with finding people you know in their pajamas or whatever it is yeah that's good advice this might be a hard question for you just because you're you weren't in video before this, but I also wonder if this low production, you know, style has any limitations to it. Like do you ever feel limited by it? Yeah, I mean, look, like there are a lot of times where we want like a pickup shot, you know, of something mm -hmm. and like a couple times we've been able to squeeze them in like for the Billie Eilish episode, you know, I also was writing a print piece about her. So I was at her family's house. So when she was talking about, you know, this is the room we recorded these songs in, when I was at their house, I was able to say, hey, can I get a few seconds of footage on my on my phone and we'll mm -hmm. pop it in the video? You know, we sent our producer to Electric Lady Studios to get a little bit for, um, a, you know, the episode, I think, with FKA Twigs. So, you know, that we've had little moments like that. But I think that's the kind of stuff that with a budget and a crew and like a cameraman who knows what they're doing and a sound person who knows what they're doing, like it's just allows you to stretch a bit and plug holes and, you know, pick up lines and whatever. Like this is all very, you know, as you said, they're edited down. Each interview is probably 30 or 45 minutes with each person. Um, but basically what we get is what we get. And if a garbage truck goes by, when they are saying like a really great line and I didn't realize in the moment or my producer didn't stop me and have them repeat it. Like we just lose that part, you know? So it sucks a little bit to, to have to deal with those limitations and the tech stuff, uh, you know, is, can be wonky and whatever. So, you know, there, there are those things. Um, I actually spent a good part of last year working on, uh, an actual documentary for the Times um, 
TV show, The Weekly, um, and that was done, you know, with a producer on hand and a crew and with many shoots. And that was just a totally different experience that I'd never had before. And I was able to take some of what I learned um, doing Diary, but it's just a completely different world. And I really felt like an amateur, um, you know, being out in the field with a full video crew. Have you ever had an interview not go in the direction that you expected or wanted or, you know, you just really felt like you weren't getting the material that you needed? Has that happened? And is, if it has, how have you kind of redirected it? And that sounds like a really weird job interview question, and I'm sorry. Yeah, no, it's okay. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, there have been a few that were challenging. Like, I think... Um, Interviewing Lil Nas X about Old Town Road was pretty tough. Uh, it was, I think, one of the first interviews he ever did. And he was sort of sitting awkwardly in a hotel room with, like, his brand new publicist from his brand new record label. And he was obviously very nervous. And he was also a little bit cagey about certain elements of the song and how they how they came about and, you know, what the sort of what the legal aspects of it were, you know, because he's like sampling this Nine Inch Nails song that his producer found on the internet and, you know, just little wrinkles like that. And I think that was like, that's a tough interview and it's it's challenging when the person who's supposed to be the star of a video is maybe not delivering in the way you wanted them to. Um, and then, you know, in, for that same episode, we interviewed Billy Ray Cyrus um, about his part in Old Town Road. And we had literally, I think, five and a half minutes with him or something. And, you know, the publicist kept jumping in and saying, like, he has to go, he has to go. And I'm like, one more question. And I couldn't get him to say what I what I thought I wanted him to say. And just sort of, like, push through it and then count on our amazing team of uh, editors and uh, producers to make the best of it. Um, you know, I think it really helps that we have this uh, format where many people are telling the same story. We tried to have a rule that every episode would have at least three characters. So that sort of covers your ass if you have a, one really bad interview. Um, we've broken that with uh, the most recent episode. We did Grimes and she was the, she was the only one because she was the only one who worked on the song. Um, and, you know, we had some fixes and I think tried to make that work. But usually we can just cut to a different character if a certain part of the interview is bad. Um, and, you know, if not, it's just about like creative ways to paper over that with the magic of video. Mm -hmm. What is the future of Diary of a Song? <sighs> what is the future of Diary of a Song? Uh, I don't know. I want to keep doing it. Um, I think, you know, the very first year we worked on these would have been 2018, I think. And we made like two or three. And then last year we did, I think, eight episodes maybe. And this year we're trying to do 10 or 12, basically like one a month. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, we're trying to increase frequency. Again, that's tough because... Um, I have a job writing for the newspaper and I'm currently actually on book leave um, working on a working on my first book and you know I'm making diary on the side uh, even while I'm on leave to try to keep up that pace um, so I just think you know more episodes more genres more characters uh, we're still experimenting with the format a lot you know eventually I'd love to do 
even more, um, you know, maybe make them longer, higher budget. I don't know. Um, I'm open to anything. And I think, you know, we found we have just a really amazing tight knit team that has worked basically on every episode since the beginning. And I think we all, as far as I know, still love working together and want to keep at it uh, for the foreseeable future. It seems like a fun show to make. Yeah, it's really fun. Um, I mean, I can't I can't speak for our editor. Um, Will Lloyd does uh, most of the episodes and, you know, it's about about seven or ten of us um, working on every episode um, and everybody gets involved in various parts of it, which, you know, is an annoying sometimes for the experts in uh, in their various uh, mediums. But we all, I think, are ultimately a, a great team. I think I became a journalist at this time where journalism was so in the toilet and they said like, oh, everyone has to learn how to be a photographer and a videographer and be on video and make podcasts, do audio, blah, blah, blah. And I was sort of was like, eh, like I only like writing. Um, But I got sort of, you know, peer pressured slash bullied into doing this and I, I love it now. So I would say like, you know, you can, you can do video, even if you don't think you can do video. That's what I, that's what I've learned so far. Yeah. No, I have the same. I started in writing and my dream was to like write for the New York times magazine or something. And then one day just start dabbling with video and I love it now. And I never thought of myself as a visual person. So I think you can surprise yourself. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be what you've seen before, you know, like I, the part I love most about this is that like, I feel like we made videos that didn't look like other videos. You know, I wasn't even a big consumer of internet video, um, before this. And now I'm like a total Bon Appetit test kitchen obsessive and like watch internet videos all the time. But it just like introduced me to a whole new world. Thanks so much for listening. This podcast is hosted and produced by me, Jenny Butler. Sky Dylan Robbins is our co-producer. George Itzak is our booking producer. Hansdale Sue does our audio mix. And our original music is by Zach Wright. And Rough Cut is a part of the Video Consortium, which is a creative community of the world's top emerging nonfiction filmmakers and video journalists. We're scattered all around the globe, and we have chapters in New York, L.A., San Francisco, Washington, D.C., Milan, Paris, and with many more to come. If you want to join and become a member, check us out at videoconsortium.com. And if you want to learn more about Rough Cut, go to roughcutpodcast.com. Visit us on Instagram at roughcutpodcast and go to Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a review, subscribe and rate our show.